0: you lord our god is great isn't he he's perfect in all of his ways let's send that praise on up to the lord jesus christ thank you lord thank you lord thank you lord we do honor the lord amen in jesus name let's pray and we're going to get into the word father we just thank you for every man of god that is uh here this morning and thank you as well for all that you're going to do in our lives Thank you that it's in you that we live, move, and have our being. And even as uh, we prepare to share, we thank you for all of the churches that have gathered here together. And uh, thank you as well, sir, for all that you're going to do in our lives this morning. Uh, We give you a thanksgiving that you'll let the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, because you, O Lord, are strength and our redeemer. And I pray that you'll let the words of my mouth, uh, Father, be clear, articulate to the divine to discern and to articulate divine truth. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Set on each one of us today as you did on the day of Pentecost. And uh, change us and transform us so that we can be better men, better husbands, better fathers, better community citizens. For this we give you thanksgiving, and for this we give you praise. In Jesus' name, have I said yeah. amen you can be seated in the presence of God amen well it's good to be here with our good friends at a faith christian center pastor john and to see all of those that are here together pastor chris and uh and uh all of those that are here pastor ray and all of those that are here from other churches as well we want to thank the lord for you being here this morning And uh, we honor the Lord Jesus Christ. I bring greetings to you from our home church, Rama Christian Center in Columbus, Ohio, and our network of local churches that we oversee. And we thank the Lord for their giving me permission to be here with you today and to uh, be able to share with you from the word of God. Um, One of the things that I had on my heart as we come together as men during this season is um, God is building community right now. And the community of God is called the kingdom of God. And uh, one of my statements about the kingdom of God uh, is the realm where God is in control, the kingdom of God. Community of God is also called the kingdom of heaven, and that's where the kingdom is from, kingdom of God. That's who owns and runs and directs the kingdom. Kingdom of God is uh, God's influence on planet Earth. When I talked to Mary Ann Brown before she passed away, I asked her, give me your thoughts on the kingdom of God. And she said, God, the kingdom of God is God's influence on planet Earth. When I think about the kingdom of God and reading through the parables of the kingdom of God, I begin to find that the kingdom of God is a, king, is a community as God imagines it. The community as God imagines it. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we pray, thy kingdom come. The community as you imagine it come your will your desire be done in the earth as it is in heaven and so we are building community down the kingdom of god and the church is a visible expression of the kingdom of god in the earth it's the only legitimate expression of the kingdom of god in the earth the church and as we build community our communities are communities of faith because without faith it's impossible to please him he that comes to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him so in the two sessions that I would like to talk to you this uh morning and then this afternoon the second part of this I'd like to talk to you about enemies uh of the faith community things that would hinder us from building community and one of the greatest enemies of the faith community is a thing called offense 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 now I believe that God calls us to be world changers and world influencers I believe he calls us that. And in the world, there are evangelized, unevangelized, and unreached people. And I put notes on your table so that we could all track together. There are evangelized, unevangelized, and unreached people in the world. In the church, there are believers, followers, and disciples. Now, to give some definition, an evangelized person is a person who has heard about the Lord Jesus Christ, had the gospel preached to them, but have not yet responded. Uh, favorably or appropriately to the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached. Uh, someone who's unevangelized may be a person that's heard the name Jesus but has not yet heard enough information to make a decision. So they are unevangelized, but maybe they have heard the name Jesus and heard the term the church. Someone that's an unreached person would be someone who has uh, not heard the name Jesus, not had a gospel presentation. Most of the unreached people in our world today live in what's called the 1040 window where missioners are praying for now. It's 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude. And uh, it stretches from usually West Coast Africa or uh, all the way over to Asia. In that 1040 window, that rectangle is where most of the unreached people live. People who have never heard the name Jesus. People who have uh, not had a gospel presentation. 80% of the people inside of that window, that 1040 window, are Hindu, Buddhist, and Muslims, unreached people groups. And so in the world, there are un- evangelized people, unevangelized, and there are also people that are called uh, unreached people. In the church, there are believers, and these believers are people who responded to a gospel message and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For their salvation, there are followers. These are people now that have taken up their cross and have looked at the cost of discipleship and they become now a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave uh, requirements for following him. If you will come after me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and die daily and follow me. And then there are disciples. These are people who have the character, the nature, and the life of Jesus inside of them. And disciples are people that are engaged in the business of Taking the character and nature and life of Jesus and imparting it to someone else. That's a disciple. Disciples wanted to know what their rabbi knew. They wanted to be able to do what their rabbi did. And they wanted to be like their rabbi. A disciple. A disciple. Know what my rabbi knows. Do what my rabbi does. And be like my disciple. The life of Jesus is revealed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We call them the manifestations of the spirit. Some of them say something like tongues and interpretation, tongues and prophecy. Some of them reveal something, like a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, and discerning the spirits. And some of them do something, like gifts of healing, gifts of faith, and also we have the miraculous, gifts of miracles that take place there. And friends, you and I need to understand that there are uh, those that life of Jesus, the character of Jesus, and the nature of Jesus, or the character of Jesus can be revealed in Galatians 5:22, And that would be what we call the fruit of the spirit. And that's when your life and I, it becomes our invisible witness, if you will, just looks like the character of Jesus, love, joy, peace, long suffering, faithfulness, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. And the very nature of Jesus is revealed when you and I respond like Jesus, we respond in any given situation. We don't respond like an old man, but we respond out of the new man realities. And so we become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, between the world and the church, between the two, there are unchurched people and de-churched people. Unchurched people and de-churched people. I give some definition here because unchurched people are believers who don't attend a church or a congregation anymore. And one of the greatest uh, statistics are tell- now telling us growing populations in the church world is people that are called nons. Non-affiliated, non-connected, non-members. These are what's called unchurched people. They're believers that don't attend church anymore. They seem to love Jesus, they just don't love his kids. They seem to love Jesus, they don't love his community. Some of the early church fathers said it's impossible to follow Jesus and not be a part of a community of believers. Some of the early church fathers really believed that. Community is where the life of Jesus flowed, says some of the early church fathers. So these are people that love Jesus but don't love his kids, and they're unchurched believers that don't attend a church or a local assembly or congregation. Then there's also what's called de people. de are believers who quit, were hurt, or disconnected. Now, after I lay out that landscape for you, One of the greatest reasons that people become, if you will, the last one, de-churched, is because of what's called church hurt. A few years ago, I had a chance to do a lot of traveling, doing leadership development inside of our kingdom, inside of our kingdom community called the church. And I had a chance to travel to New York, New Jersey, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina. I had a chance to travel to Ohio, Pennsylvania, doing some work at Penn State University on the campus there with some Christian organizations, Kentucky. As well as out in Topeka, Kansas, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Georgia. That's and Mississippi as well, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Georgia. Traveling those areas, all the states adjacent to Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, West Virginia. Uh, and um, when I was traveling those areas, when I was uh, either on a plane, when I was in a hotel, or when I was in public spaces like restaurants, I started asking people, "Where do you worship?" As with their name, what do you do, what do you worship. And I was surprised, I think a number of people tell me, I don't worship anywhere. And so I began to ask them, why don't you worship anywhere? And they begin to tell me, church hurt. I got hurt in church. They begin to give that term. So after hearing that multiple times, I started asking the question, what did they do to you? I didn't say, what did we do to you? I said, what did they do to you? <laughs> and people began to tell me things. And so after a while, I took out my phone, and I had a pad uh, in my notepad that just said church hurt, and I just began to log in what people said. If something was redundant that was already on there, I would not list it again. And this is a definition I got of church hurt, okay, so that you'll know what this definition is, okay, so we can all be on the same page. Everybody with me? GP, are you with me? God's yeah. people, you still here. You okay, all right. Church hurt is perceived or actual, or that next word in this uh, should be imagined. Okay, it's a typo. It should be imagined. Okay, you got that? It's uh, perceived, actual, or imagined damage, offense, pain, or disappointment experienced by a person, family, group, by a congregation, core leadership team, leader of a faith community. Church hurt. Church hurt is perceived or actual or imagined damage offense pain disappointment experienced by a person, family, group, by a congregation, core leadership team or leader of a faith community church hurt. And one of the one of the enemies of the faith community is what's called offense. Because offense is one of the greatest sources of church hurt. And offense is one of the greatest enemies elevation elevation means moving upward and moving forward it's one of the greatest sources of church hurt. now why do we talk about this because many of us we work in family spaces we work in ministry space we work in marketplace we also some of us do a lot of work in cyberspace and friends no matter where your space is whether family space ministry space marketplace or cyberspace you can experience hurt and pain and offense I want to help in these sessions as men for us to navigate through this space if we have experienced that. And then secondly, I want us to position ourselves in a prescriptionary way to help other men navigate their way through that space because in the years that are to come, we're going to need every hand on deck in our community. We can't have people on the fringes. We need every hand on deck in our community called the church so this first session will be a uh, diagnostic kind of explaining the problem with some prescription at the end second session will be mostly prescriptionary i'm both a diagnostic and a prescriptionary preacher i just don't talk about the problem i like to give some solutions if you will does that make sense okay so we just don't want to leave here and say, oh man it's all falling apart even so come quickly lord jesus okay no <laughs> like like to give us like to give us some solution okay so, like to be diagnostic first and then prescriptionary. Now, first of all, I want you to understand on under point number one, we are warned about offense by Jesus. We're warned about it. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 7, Jesus says this, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. But woe to the man by whom offense comes. Now, here Jesus is giving us a warning he says, woe to the world because of offenses. So whether you're in family space, ministry space, marketplace, cyberspace, offenses, woe to you because of offenses. Offenses are painful. But then it says, for offenses must come. So offenses are events, definition, statements, or attacks meant to make one stumble. Sometimes offense can be intentional. Somebody can do something actually to hurt you. It can be mimetic, Mimetic uh, uh, response to uh, something someone did. Uh, somebody hurts you, and in your world and life experience, when somebody hurts you, you have learned to hurt them back. So we mimic what we see other people do. Somebody hit you, you saw somebody, when somebody else got hit, they hit back, you hit back. So we mimic, we have a tendency to mimic what we've had in life experience. And friends, I think that it's critical for us to understand. That sometimes people attack us intentionally to hurt us, to move us out of the way. So it can be intentional, but hurt can also be unintentional. Sometimes people can say and do things to us, and we receive it as an assault, a statement of attack, and it can be unintentional. Offense is something that also can outrage the moral or the physical senses. Fill that in. Moral or physical senses. And this is things like injustice injustice when someone's not treated right whether it's a woman whether it's a child whether it's someone of an opposite race whether it's an international whether it's someone that's different from ourselves or someone like ourselves when there's been injustice that can cause a sense of outrage in a moral or physical sense that can cause offense i'm offended at the way someone treats someone else or handles someone else And that could be outrage that causes in a moral and a physical sense. Offense can also be an act of attacking or assaulting someone. And this is very intentional. And this could be anywhere from a crowd to a gang to an entire community that attacks or assaults uh, someone or a person or a group. Offense. Jesus said, woe to us because of offenses. Offenses must surely come. Now, I want you to fill this in. Because after the attack, offense can be intentional and unintentional offenses. This sense of pain, this sense of assault, this sense of uh, attacking, this sense of moral outreach, it, it, it can be intentional or unintentional. But listen, here's what I want you to hear this morning, men. Offense is inevitable. Offense must come. You can't stop it from coming. can't insulate ourselves. And what some people have tried to do now because of offense is isolate themselves. They said, if I don't go around that group of people, I won't experience offense. Jesus says, woe to us because of offense. Offense must surely come. But then he gives us a severe warning. He says, but woe to those by which offense comes. Because offense carries a heavy judgment. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 6, it says this. It says, whosoever shall offend... One of these little ones, if you do intentional offense, it says, which believes in me, it would be better for him that a millstone be hung about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That's a heavy judgment. If you can think about Grist Mill or someplace like that, one of them big millstones being tugged around your neck and you thrown out in the ocean, that's a pretty bad picture. And friends, you and I, he said, it would be better that that be your plight than to offend one of these little ones. Intentional offense carries a weighty judgment, and offense can at times be unintentional. Now let's do a case study on offense and in this, in this point. A case study. Case study. Case study. There's a little verse in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse number 1 that says this. Saul and David are a great case study of offense because it says now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. How can one group be getting stronger and stronger and another group getting weaker and weaker? Notice that we're dealing with a current king and we're dealing about dealing with a king that has oil poured on him. We're that he's going to be king. And one king's house is getting weaker and weaker. And another one's getting stronger and stronger. New King James says about that word. And there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. New Living Translation says about 2 Samuel 3.1. And there was a, uh, this was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. So sometimes offense can happen and it can impact groups or those that are around us. Offense can be contagious. One person can get offense, be offended, and then they can infect other people like flu. You can catch it. And it may not be yours, but you caught it from somebody else. And so those that were loyal to David, they're getting stronger and stronger. And those that are loyal to Saul, they're getting weaker and weaker. New Living Translation says that they became stronger and stronger in Saul's destiny and dynasty. Uh, uh, it says uh, it became weaker and weaker. What happened to Saul? Saul was first anointed by Samuel from a vial of oil. A vial of oil was poured over his head. Israel appointed him. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. Looked like a king. God let him be king. He's anointed. Had prophecy over his life. Just obey the Lord. You'll be a good king. All of a sudden, Saul starts malfunctioning. He starts erupting, imploding. And finally, God disqualifies him and says, "Listen, I'm going to appoint another king instead of you." All of a sudden, he tells uh, Samuel. He says, "Samuel's mourning over Saul because he's prophesied to him about his great destiny." And God just asked Samuel, how long are you going to mourn over this guy? He says, seeing that I've anointed another. And he tells him, now here's what I need you to do. I need you to get up and get down to Jesse's house. He said, because I appointed another king in my stead. And so uh, he's called upon to go. So in, uh, seconds, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, you have to look this one up in your Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 18 and if you will find uh, verse number six, first Samuel 18:6, follow along on your iPads, iPhones, or in your Bible. And it says, "And it came to pass that as they, uh, And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of the city of Israel singing and dancing and they met the king, and Saul with tabreas and with joy and with instruments of music. Now, Saul sent David out after, after his victories, and he said, Go kill all of our enemies who were the Philistines at that time. David was successful in that, so when David comes back, Saul decides to walk into town with him. And all these women come out singing, dancing, rejoicing. But verse 7 it says and the women answered one to another as they played and they said Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. and verse number 8 it says and Saul was very wrath got angry at the saying and it displeased him and it says and he said they have ascribed unto David 10,000 and unto me They have ascribed a thousand. What can he have more but the kingdom? And verse number nine, all of a sudden, Saul's heart changes. Now, now he's mad. Now he begins to eye David from that day forward. Now, notice they're coming back from a battle. Everybody's rejoicing. And Saul hears the women singing. Saul has slain his thousand and David his 10,000. Women always starting stuff. Oh, y'all ought to say something. It's only men in here. It's just us in here. And if probably if I was with some of my evangelical brothers who believe that women ought to stay in their place, I would preach it that way. It was the women's fault. But I don't believe that this text says that this is a woman problem. This is an insecure male problem. They're ascribing to Saul a 1,000, David his 10,000, and Saul gets mad. And then all of a sudden, out of his anger, his view of David changes. Now, no circumstances have changed. Something's going on inside of Saul. And his view of David changes, even though David is behaving himself wisely, other texts will tell us, in the sight of Saul. He begins to eye him. And verse number 10 says And it came to pass that on the morrow, an evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hands as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the javelin. For he, he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of, the, out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David and became. And because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Case of offense. Now in this case study, what we'll find out it was events from outside not internal that caused Saul to take up this offense events from the outside his insecurity and Saul's elevation and his whole progress even though he had oil poured on his head everybody say the anointing anointed. you can be anointed and be offensive. you can say well if we can just get more anointed maybe we'll be off no no you can be anointed and still take up an offense and this man was anointed from a vial of oil, a vials, a little man-made tube, and drips of oil come out of it. Of course, David was anointed from a horn of oil where the oil flows. Look at your neighbor and say, don't just get a drip, get a flow. <laughs> yeah, and, and those two words are used about the two anointings that they had. They said Samuel anointed Saul with a vial of oil, but he anointed David with a horn of oil. Y'all want a little dab or do you? We used to have a product called Brill Cream. I'm kind of dating myself here. (laughs) And it's a little dab or do you? Well, when it comes to the anointing, you don't want a little dab. Look at your neighbor and say, "Get get the horn. Yeah, yeah, get filled up with the anointing. That's the empowerment of God. And friends, here it is. Saul has anointing on him, but he takes up an offense. And his offense begins to hinder and stop his elevation and his progress. Last couple of feelings down there under point number one. And notice in the text that we read, in verse number 10, when you and I take up an offense, it opens our life for demonic activity. Because as soon as he got offended, all of a sudden demonic activity started increasing in his life. Because now he goes from being angry with David Eyeing in perspective and looking at him differently, now he goes to a murderous spirit because we know that the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And friends, now he goes to murder, and not only murder, but now he's plotting in a javelin's mind. And twice it says in the text he threw it at David to kill him. His offense has now turned into a murderous spirit. He wants to destroy the man, and then it turns into a spirit of fear. Because the final verse that we read there in 1 Samuel 18 says, and he was afraid of this man. This man that had helped him, this man that was committed to him, this man that was slain, his enemies. The case study says he took up an offense. There's another case study that I'll give you absolutely free since you came this morning. There's a case study that you might want to look at about how to take up an offense of another man, since it's a man's meeting. At 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse number 1, you might want to look at that one. 2 Kings 5.1, I'll speak it in a narrative form, but I wanted to give you the reference. 2 Kings chapter 5 and uh, verse number 1. And in 2 Kings uh, chapter 5, uh, this story is a story about a man named Naaman. And uh, Naaman has a problem. He's a Syrian captain. And uh, Naaman's problem is that he's found to be a leper. Now, when he's found to be a leper, there's no cure for leprosy at that time. But somehow the Syrians have captured a little Israeli maiden and they bring her into Syria. And when she hears that the Lord had become, uh, that that Naaman had become a leper, she goes to the king and says, listen, oh, that he was over in Israel, because there's a prophet over over in Israel up in Samaria, the northern kingdom, who could cure his leprosy. The king said, really? He said, yes. The narrative goes on in 2 Kings chapter 5 in that, he tells Naaman, uh, he says, you go to that king and carry this letter. And the letter says, listen, I'm sending Naaman, uh, my king, uh, my friend to you. I'm also sending some clothes to you, and I want you to cure him. Well, when the king of Israel gets the letter, he said, well, who am I in the stead of God? Do I have death and life in my hand? He, he begins to figure he just wants to pick a fight with me and destroy me. And then he sends word to the prophet. Naaman is sent down to... Uh, the, the word gets down to the prophet and the prophet said, Tell him to come down here. Naaman comes down to the prophet's house. And in the narrative, when Naaman gets to the prophet's house, Naaman has some expectations. Yeah. He come all the way from Syria. He has letters from the Syrian king. He has expectations. He comes down and in verse number uh, 11... Naaman, he thought that the prophet was going to come out to him because he was a captain. He thought he was going to strike his hands over him in the name of the Lord. And then he thought that he was going to be healed. Instead, the prophet sends one of his little servants out and said, go tell him dip seven times in Jordan River and he'll be cured. And the man gets mad. He said, this is not diplomatic protocol. He said, man, this ain't the way you treat a dignitary. Send a little girl out there and tell me go dip seven times. And then he starts complaining about the method. He said, man, we got clean water in Syria. He said, the Jordan River runs from, you know, Syria all the way down to the Dead Sea. And it's muddy. It's dirty. It's got all kind of fish in it. And he said, and he said, and you... No, we got clean water. He said, If I wanted to take a bath out of taking a bath in Syria, you telling me to go dip seven times in the Jordan River? And he takes up an offense and he is mad. Why'd he get mad? Sometimes people can take up an offense because I found out that leaders think that they can lead no matter where they are and even when they're not called upon to lead. Naaman is a marketplace leader. Elijah is a sacred leader. But leaders believe that they have the right to lead even when they're not in their space. Oh, y'all ain't gonna say nothing. I'm talking to men. So he believes that because I'm a leader out here in the military, when I come over here in the church, I'm a leader too. So when the leader in the church tells him what to do to solve his problem, which is a spiritual matter, This leader from the marketplace, he said, man, listen, I command men. I control forces. I know how to lead. I don't agree with your leadership style. First of all, you didn't come out and greet me. And secondly, with your leadership methodology. And he gets offended. Thank God for a little intercessor that said, well, listen, if he'd have told you to do something difficult, you'd have done it. Why don't you go to the Jordan River and give it a shot? In other words, we would say, in our figure of speech in the Western world, what do you have to lose? So he goes down to the Jordan River, dips seven times, and guess what? When he comes up the seventh time, he is healed. You know if he had held on to that offense, he would have went back to Syria, still sick. Because leaders lead even when they feel like, even when they're not in the space where they're supposed to lead. I've seen leaders come into a hall like this, and they say, what are all these tables doing all tight? You move that table over there. You're not the maitre d'. But leaders just feel like they have a right to lead even when they're not called upon to lead and even when they're not in the space that they're called to lead in. So two case studies of leaders. All of these stories about men. This is a men's meeting. These men that get offended. Naaman resolved his offense and went and did what he was supposed to do. And you know what? You know that his heart has changed because he goes back to the prophet. He says, I believe there's only one God in Israel. He said, now when I go back and when I'm with the Lord, my king, we're going to have to go in and worship at the temple of Roman. And he said, and when the king bows, I'm going to have to bow. He said, but I only acknowledge the God of Israel. He said, what do you think I ought to do? You know what the prophet does? The prophet does not give him an apologetics on now. shall I have no other God before him? He just tells him, go in peace. And I believe that that statement just means the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do in the moment in which you need to do it. Just go in peace. One of the men that I know who's a bishop in the Lord's Church, uh, he, he was brought up in a, Muslim's house, in a Muslim house. And he said when he accepted Jesus Christ, his dad used to beat him. He said, I'm going to beat that Jesus out of you. And used to take him to the mosque and put him down the rug and make him pray those Islamic prayers. And he said, he said, I went to the mosque. He said, I went into the house. He said, I bent down on that rug and started praying them prayers. He said, they're down there praying in Arabic, and I'm down there talking in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, and one day after he came to uh, church and he was uh, the, the pastor, noticed all those scars on him. He said, what's wrong with these? He said, my dad's a Muslim. He said, he's going to beat Jesus out of me. And the pastor said. I'm going to talk to your dad, get your stuff packed. You're going to come live with me. And he lived with his pastor from from that point on. Because he just went in peace and did what the Spirit of God said to do. You see, Saul's elevation and progress was stopped. And Saul became demonized. And the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. Men, your house doesn't need to become weaker and weaker because of offense. I've seen people because of offense separate themselves from community. And man, they were going well when they were in community, and then I see that their lives wind up on the junk heaps of bankrupt lives because of a thing called offense. Now, what are we taught to do uh, to resolve offense and conflict? Point number two, friends. One of the ways that we are taught to resolve offense uh, and conflict is Matthew chapter eighteen, verse fifteen. And Matthew eighteen fifteen says, "If if if a brother." 1815, if your brother, if we're going to resolve conflict and offense, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Everybody say alone. Alone. It says, if he hears you, you have gained a brother. First step, go talk to somebody face to face alone. Men talk to each other. I'm going to say it again. Men talk. To each other. Okay, I didn't get enough buy-in. I said, men talk to each other. Amen. Go talk alone. Sometimes when you go talk to somebody alone, one-on-one, you'll find out things are not what you thought that they were. And so he said, go talk and you gain the brother. It says, if you hear him, you gain the brother. Verse, the next verse goes on to say, but if he will not hear you, then take one or two more. For the by the mouth of two or three witnesses is all the way through the Old Testament. Let every word be established by mouth of two or three witnesses. And so sometimes friends, all we have to do is take two or three more. Now, listen, let me qualify to two or three. Don't go get your best friends and stack the deck. Get two or three neutral people with some sense. I'm going to say it again. Two or three neutral people with some sense. I'm going to say it again. Two or three neutral people with some sense. I'm going to say it a third time. Two or three neutral people. With some sense. suppose folks that can hear matter and try to resolve the matter, not inflame the matter. Are you hearing me? Amen. Get two or three others. It says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let it be established. He says, But if he refuses to hear them, he won't hear you, he won't hear them. Then he says, And take it to the church. I mean tell it the leadership, and some leaders in the church can get together, and if he refuse to hear the church, those that are in leadership and those that are in the church, it says, Let him be like a heathen and like a tax collector. Surely I say unto you that whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He says, listen, whatever you permit to happen in the earth, heaven's going to stand in agreement with it. And whatever you tie up and prohibit from happening in the earth, heaven's going to agree with it. Heaven is waiting for you to do something in the earth. Because sometimes we're offended, we're asking God, do something about that. God said, you do something about it. Because he said, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Heaven is waiting on you and I to do something. And we have the power to give permission and prohibition in the earth. So we are taught to resolve uh, conflict and we're taught to resolve trespasses and offense biblically. See, part of the solution is that we need to see conciliation, bring people together. Negotiation, mediation, and arbitration. Negotiations, when you talk to somebody one on one, listen. Mediation, when you take a third party and let them hear the matter and help them negotiate to a win win. Arbitration, I used to be a part of local uh, Teamsters Union 413. It was a Teamsters Union I worked for as a United Parcel Service driver for years. And when I worked for them as a part of that, sometimes we get in the contract. And they would go into the negotiation. They couldn't solve the thing. Then they would get into mediation, and they bring in a mediator. Still couldn't solve the thing. Now, contract's in, you know, 24 months, 36 months, no raise, no contract. We're just operating on the old one by faith. And finally, they'll bring in an arbiter. And the arbiter is one that comes in, and he says, I'm going to hear the matter, and I'm going to set down the terms of resolve. When an arbiter comes in, whatever the arbiter says, that's the way it's going to be. Sometimes that's going to be a win-lose. Negotiation, you can have win win. Mediation, you can also have win win. Usually, when it's an arbitration, it's going to be win lose. And so, this tells us you go, take somebody with you, tell it to a group, but the biblical pattern is resolution. We want to resolve stuff, not just let it go on and on and on and on and on. You know why? Because no matter where you and I are offended, you and I will carry that offense there. I mean, have you ever looked at Psalm 27 where David is talking about uh, escaping from the hand of Saul? And Saul starts off offense, but when David writes in Psalm 27, he says, Now it's not just Saul when the wicked, and then it begins to escalate. Now it's not just the wicked Saul, now it's my enemies and then my foes encamped against me. They stumbled and fell. Though an army. Should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though a host should stand before me, in this shall I be confident. It goes from the wicked person to now uh, a host to an army. All of these folks are impacted because of one man's offense. I said offense can be contagious and can impact many folks and people have wound up in shipwreck and in bankruptcy because of offense. We must teach people to resolve conflict uh uh, to resolve conflict um to be elevated and to make progress all i'm into during this season is helping people make progress into what they said they believe god wants them to do with their lives and friends sometimes it's difficult hello (laughs) i remember one time when i was at union grove baptist church before i covered my final point that uh A lady came to me one day and she said, "Uh, Pastor, she said, you work at the United Parcel Service, don't you? I said, yeah. She said, my husband works here. I said, I know. She said, when do y'all get paid? I said, we get paid every Friday. At that time, they give us a paper check every Friday. And she said, my husband doesn't bring his check home every Friday. She said, do you think that you and I and he could talk? And, you know, I was a young minister, wanted to be used, you know. And... (laughs) You know, when you're young, you just think that you got God on your side. (laughs) And so I said, sure, let's meet after church. So we sat down on one of the benches in the church after service, and I said, okay, what's going on? She said, he's not bringing his money home every Friday. And I I said, well, we get paid every Friday. What's going on? And he said, well, Pastor, you know, he said, "Uh, you know, I got this gambling problem. And he said, the way I go home, he said, I got to pass Route 23. Well, right down Route 23, one of the exits, is Siota Downs, which is a horse racing place. He had a gambling problem. Couldn't get past the horse racing place. So he's taking his check down every Friday. And they would actually cash your check for you so that you could bet on the horses. Of course. And so we resolve, okay, we're going to pray. And here's what I want to happen. I want you to go a different way home and bring your check home every Friday. A couple of weeks later, I check in with the sister and with the brother. They say everything's going fine. Both of them confirm it's going fine. Months pass. And all of a sudden, this guy, his wife comes to me and said, pastor, same patterns developed. He's not bringing his check home." And she said, y'all still get paid every Friday, right? And I said, yeah. I said, okay, let's meet after church. So after church, we set out to meet. And he said, well, can we go in a room? So we go in one of the Sunday school rooms. i am sitting on one side table. He's sitting on the other side with his wife. And I said, what's going on, man? And he goes like this. I said, your wife says your check isn't coming home. What's happening to your check? I said, did you lose your check? (laughs) Did you not get a check? Now, before I say what I'm about to say that I said to him, you need to understand my counseling style. I'm not trained as a counselor. When I counsel somebody, it's me, the Holy Ghost, and Black Culture <laughs> in the counseling room. Right. Everybody say him, him, the Holy Ghost, Holy and black culture. black culture. And I said, I said, are you going to the horse track again? He went like this, yes. and I looked over that table. I said, Negro, if you shrug your shoulders at me one more time, I'm gonna reach over this table and slap you in your face he said, well, pastor, you know, you know, we don't have to go there, you know. You know no, I ain't been making it at home. See, sometimes it's just me, the Holy Ghost, and black culture. Sometimes you got to talk in tongues to folk. Y'all talk in tongues in a way that they'll understand. And you know what? I said, here's what's going to happen from now on. Now, now I'm an arbiter. I said, from now on, I said, your wife is going to come pick up your check every Friday. He said, I'm going to have to give her my check. I said, listen, I said, I don't have a gambling problem. I said, but every Friday, my wife brings me to work because I said, I work way beyond banking hours. At that time, banks weren't open on Saturday and stuff. And, uh, and I said, so she comes every Friday. I endorse my check. I pull my truck outside the gate, get out my truck, give her the check. She goes take care of household stuff. She going to come get your check. He said, well, she got to work. She went and checked with her boss, told him what was going on. The boss said, girl, go, go get your money. <laughs> he let her come in late so she could pick up the check early. <laughs> and you know what? Out of that arbitration, hear me, they were able to resolve their marriage. I saw them. They're not even part of that church or my church now, but I saw them years later. And I said, y'all, how's marriage going? They said, fine. And both of them said, and thank you for helping us. Navigate through that tight space. The ideal is not just to carry on offense, but the ideal is to resolve conflict. Now watch, let's cover this last point. Some solutions for offense. First of all, do your best by the spirit of God to give no offense. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 32 says, give no offense neither to the Jew nor to the Greek nor to anybody of the church of God. I believe that you and I should not intentionally offend anybody. And he talked about the Jew. That was one faith tradition. The Greeks, that's another one. They were more polytheistic. Or to the church of God, and we have many faith traditions. He says, don't give offense to anybody. Never intentionally offend anyone. When I look at others, whether they're internationals, whether they are nationals, whether they are familiar or unfamiliar, Never intensely offend anyone. Feel this one in. recognize when you are offended. Now, some of us are tough to offend. I'm one of those people. I don't take up offense uh, easily. I'm just not easily offended. Uh, It's just the way God has wired me. I'm not bragging. I'm not boasting. I'm not even boasting the Lord. It's just the way I'm wired. In fact, I've had people say things to me and I walk walk away from it. I drive home. And sometimes I'm pulling it in my driveway and I say, what did they say to me? (laughs) It hits me much later. But not everybody's wired like that, understand? Not everybody is wired like that. But when you and I know that we are offense, we need to recognize when we're offense and check our heart. Because when you and I are responding to people out of offense differently than we normally have, there may be something in our heart That will cause us to get weaker and weaker while somebody else is getting stronger and stronger. Are you seeing that? Be forgiving and teach disciples to forgive. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do was one of the utterances from the cross of Jesus. If anyone could have taken up an offense, it could have been Christ on the cross. But you know what he chose to do? He chose to forgive. Father, forgive them. The word forgive means to let go release and forgive forgive let go and release let go and release choose to forgive and i like to teach disciples to forgive but for me to teach them a model of forgiveness i need to model of forgiveness as a man as a husband and as a father and as a leader in ministry space in the marketplace as well as in cyberspace i need to market what that looks like what does it mean to teach other people to forgive in family space i need to be forgiving ministry space marketplace as well as in cyberspace listen seek to reconcile relationships in other words come together see after i've forgiven you and after we've negotiated our way through to a place of peace friends i want to see what we can do to reconcile the relationship so that we can move forward together in community especially in the community of the household of god And then seek the offense proof your life. Now, remember earlier in this message, and this may be a a paradox, because a paradox is a tension, because it says, "Woe to you because of offense? Offense must surely come. So if offense is going to come, how can I offense proof my, my life? Here's the statement. Offense can come, but you don't have to get offended. Got that? Offense will come, but you don't have to become offended. I found this little scripture embedded in Psalm 119. I call it embedded because this is a long song. But embedded in Psalm one nineteen one sixty five it says, Great peace have they that love thy law. If nothing shall they be offended. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 says, Love, God's love, it bears all things. It believes all things. It holds all things. It endures all things. God's love never fails. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For now we know in part we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away. Notice this, verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, and we're at a men's meaning, I put away childish things. If I love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, and I choose to love my neighbors, I love myself, then I can bear up under all things. I can believe all things, I can hope all things, I can endure all things. Love, God's love, always thinks the best of somebody. I believe that the amplified says it didn't even notice when a wrong is done. And friends, love bears up under everything. Choose to walk in love with everyone. You see, offense will cause so open our lives to demonic activity it'll cause us to be weaker and weaker even though a person can be the same it'll cause me to perceive them differently become angry with them offense is one of the greatest hindrances to the elevation and the progress of the faith community offense is subtle because sometimes the you, the enemy can use the tool of offense to jab you in your heart but here's what i want to do i want every man to do a Self evaluation by the Holy Spirit. When every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. And I don't know whether in family space, in ministry space, in marketplace, or even in cyberspace, that an assault has come on your moral conditions. I don't know that where you sit right now in family space, in ministry space, in marketplace, or in cyberspace, I don't know if. Someone has assaulted you and attacked you verbally or maybe even in a cyber way because there are cyber assaults right now. Listen, if you're here and someone has put something out there to cause you to stumble, somebody has said something in comparison of you to somebody else and you just feel some kind of way about that. It could be that there's an offense in your heart and God comes to New England this Saturday morning to get rid of offense. And if you know that you have either an offense in your heart that is not being resolved, maybe with a wife, a child, a son, a daughter, an in-law, a cousin, maybe a ministry space with a church, maybe a ministry space with a core leadership team or a leader in the church. It may be in the marketplace with a supervisor or manager. The corporation itself. You have an offense. Not only in ministry space and in family space, but in the marketplace or in cyberspace, somebody has put out something on you in cyberspace that is not just true, it's slanderous. And you've taken up an offense, and you would say, I need that out of my life. Just raise your hand in here. Need that out of your life. I see those hands that are up. I see those hands that are up, man. Good. Good. Put your hands down. In just a moment, I'm going to have every man stand. And if you had your hand up, or if you know that there's something going on in your heart, I just want you to join me here at the altar, and I'm just going to pray. God's going to rid that thing out of your life right now, because first, uh, the first step towards freedom and liberation Deliverance, some people would call it, is acknowledgement. Amen. I want every man to stand on your feet right now. If you had your hand up or if you didn't have your hand up, but you know something's going on, just come on this way. Come on down here. I just want to pray for us and with us. And then uh, let God just do a work in us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Work of the Holy Spirit right now. And Jesus name. come on, come on. Come on in real tight here. Because we're all brothers here. We're all here together. Amen. Some of us have been Saul. Some of us have been name Naaman resolved this issue. And that's the ideal, man. Let's get it resolved this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bring every man of God that's standing at this altar before you today. And Father, we cannot stop offense from coming. Woe to us because of offense. Offense must surely come, but woe by whom that man comes. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to this altar because we need to be cleansed from this thing. Oh, God, some of it happened decades ago. Some of it happened years ago. Some of it happened months ago. Some of it happened a weeks ago. Some of it happened a few days ago. But, God, we need to rid ourselves of the offense. Father, we see the damage an offense could do. It could cause us to perceive people different. It could cause our attitudes to change before people. Father, offense could cause us today, in the name of Jesus, to begin to become angry and homicidal and see the worst for people. Offense can cause our house to get weaker and weaker. While we see other people getting stronger and stronger, offense can hinder our progress. But God, today I come after offense in the heart of these men. In the name of Jesus, I command offense to move out of their lives. At this altar, I command offense to be neutralized in their life. I deliver them from a space of offense, whether in family space, marketplace, ministry space, cyberspace. I break it off their life, off their mind, off their imagination, off their thoughts. In the name of Jesus. I close the door to any demonic activity and command demonic activity out of their lives now. In the name of Jesus, you will not have demonic access. You will not have anything that you can claim or hold in this ground in the name of Jesus. We rid this offense out of our life. We ask you to cleanse that ground now. Holy Spirit, let us hear your voice. The ground where you're standing It's holy ground. The ground where you're standing is holy ground. The ground where you're standing is holy ground. The ground where you stand is holy ground in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Not only cleanse us, but heal us, Lord. Father, anything that's been broken, fragmented, cleanse it now, but make it whole now in Jesus' name. Father, we read this word wholeness this morning. Father, make it whole in the name of Jesus. And now, Father move us forward because we want to be like david's house we want to become stronger and stronger not weaker and weaker in the name of jesus today and i believe you for that today father father i thank you for this ground sacred ground Yes. in the name of jesus today and i thank you today for releasing us from it and releasing us to our purpose and destiny unhindered in the name of jesus now me and everybody in this in this hall Pray this after me. God in heaven, heaven. today I come to you. you. And your word is said, said, offense is inevitable. inevitable. But I rid offense out of my life. I I choose not to be offended. offended. Great Great peace have they that love thy law. In nothing shall they be offended. Father, Father, I want to get stronger and stronger, stronger, and stronger, not, stronger, and stronger. not weaker and weaker. weaker, and weaker. So, offense, so, offense, out of my life, out of my mind, out of my, out of my, out of my thoughts, out of my destiny. I, I, am I am whole as a man. I choose to walk in love, I choose to walk in forgiveness, I choose to walk in liberty. I choose to Thank you, Lord, Lord. for freeing me. Get a hand up in the air and say, Thank you, Lord, Lord, for freeing me. Thank Thank you, Lord, for freeing me. In Jesus' name. Now say this about yourself. I'm getting stronger and stronger. Other things are getting weaker and weaker. In Jesus' name. The Lord is my strength. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, give the Lord a big praise in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. Great peace have they that love thy law, in nothing shall they be offended. Father, you've given us the capacity to love and to walk in love. Father, love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, God's love, never fails. Father, let us walk in love with one another. Let us release, forgive, and let it go. And for this, we give you thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Give the Lord another praise. Hallelujah. Now, everybody in this in this sanctuary right now, slap a high five of five guys and say, I'm free this morning. All right, here it is, brother.